This is uh, part five in the conclusion of our series, uh, Things We Can't Live Without. And uh, if you're joining with us, say, for the first time, uh, you know, just want to catch you up maybe a little, a little bit. Uh, if you would like to catch up by listening to the podcast, it's livingwordli.org, and you can go right to our website, uh, go down to the po- podcast, and you can catch up as you will if you'd like. Uh, but just to let you know, this, this series was inspired by uh, Superstorm Sandy and uh, life adjustments uh, as a result of not being without electricity for uh, 10 days. Uh, one of the things I've been saying is this, is that, is that there are some things I'd rather not live without. I'd rather not live without a hot shower. <laughs> I'd rather not live without a warm house. I'd rather not live without gas in my car or the access of gas in my car. How many of you remember the long lines we, we experienced a, a few weeks ago? But those things really push come to shove. It, it's, it's really conveniences and, and, and some are necessities. But there's a difference between a need like having gas in your car and, and an issue of life and death. And so what we've been talking about is things that we really can't live without. And so in part one, we talked about hope. Hope deferred, the Bible says, makes the heart sick. And, and the hope that I'm kind of talking about or did talk about was, was not the kind of wishful thinking, positive thinking kind of an attitude, but the kind of hope that literally is in God and the hope that comes from God. And then we talked about, in part two, we talked about grace. And, 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 and where would we be without the grace of God? Doug mentioned that a little while ago, that, that it says unmerited, undeserved, un, un, uh unasked for favor, mercy that has made us into the people of faith that we have become. And then we talked about faith, that the just shall live by faith, that we live by faith and not by sight, and how important faith is. And then last week, uh, part four, I spoke about the importance of the Word of God, that, that Jesus said, man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds from God. And so we talked about the importance of the Word. And I just want you to know that uh, on Sunday morning, I, w- I want to add to this list just, just one more item. But on, on Sunday morning before service, and, and, and we do this at night as well and, or, or on Friday nights, bef- the, the worship team and, and, and the pastoral staff come together for prayer. And uh, one of the most consistent prayers I've ever heard in any of our meetings uh, is the acknowledgement that we can't do anything without God. In fact, in fact, what, what prayer is, it's reminding God what he said. Jesus said in John 15, 5, Without, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we, we, are, we are free to declare our dependence on the Lord. See, you can have a lot of church activity, but unless God is in that activity, there's nothing going to happen of any eternal consequence or any eternal value. And so we want God to be a part of the activity. We want God to lead the activity so that, that literally we declare our dependence upon God. And now th- th- that may appear to be very obvious, you know, but in some places maybe it's not so obvious. But here I, I believe that it is obvious. And one of the things that I've desired to do uh, in this series, whether we're talking about hope or faith or grace or, or the Word of God, is to have, to have Christ at the center of each of these messages, that, that Jesus l- literally is the, the very heartbeat of the church, Theology uh, is the study of God, but Christology is the study of, of Christ. And the only way that we could really know God is through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he is the revelation. He is the unfolding of God's 
plan of salvation and of the heart of God to discover his character and his nature. And so what I want to kind of pick up on something that I closed the service with last week, which was, which was from uh, Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And, and what, what I was saying then, and, and maybe I didn't elaborate on it, but, but what Paul was talking about there was let, the, let the, the mission of Jesus, let the character of Jesus, let the person of Jesus come through and dwell in you and live in you and, and become so much a part of you that when you search the scriptures, you, you are uncovering the beauty of Jesus. After all, prophetically, he said, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. The, the whole of scriptures from Genesis to Revelation are all the revelation of Jesus, his person. And so, and so for me to say, in, in, in essence, that, that we can't live without Jesus is a given. It's, 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 it's something that should be obvious for us. Okay, uh, but having said that, I I want to I want to say that Jesus is a list unto Himself, and, and Jesus doesn't doesn't uh, belong on this list of things that we can't live without because that's obvious because because He is He is too marvelous for words. Uh, one of the songs that we used to sing was that that He's He's too too amazing for contemplation, too marvelous for words. I agree with the Apostle John who said, if all the books that should ever be written about Jesus, the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So he is a list unto himself. And so th- that, that is the obvious. But I, wanna, I, w- I want you to get the bigger picture. See, whenever we study the word of God, we, we need to remember that there is a message within a message. That when God is speaking to us about, say, our inheritance, there, there is a bigger picture than than just our inheritance. You see, the message of the gospel is more than me learning how to defeat my enemies. It's more than me learning how to lay hold of my inheritance. It's more than me learning how how to become significant in a fallen world. It's more than than all of these things which are absolutely necessary, but the bigger picture is, is to get an understanding of eternally what God is doing, what God has always been doing from eternity, what was in his heart. What was the passion of God's heart from all eternity? Before there ever was a universe, there was, there was this passion that was in his heart. That's why I believe that I need to persuade you to make my case. See, I, I really didn't have to try hard to make my case to put on the list of things that we can't live without, things like hope and faith and grace in the word of God. I think it was easy to convince you. But this last thing, this last thing I want to put on, on, on my list I may need to persuade some because of your experience in the past, because of cultural influence. I want to talk to you about something that was absolutely the passion of the heart of Jesus, something that Jesus can never be separated from, something that was eternally in the desire and the heart of Jesus Christ from before the foundation of the world, and that is the body of Christ. So I would like to add to to this list of things that we can't live without the church, the body, of Christ. See, some may, because of their experience, they, they, they may say, I, I need a little convincing. So I'm going to try to do that this morning. I'm going to try to convince you. Uh, Sam Storms is a teacher that uh, I've loved and respected. And I want to share a little paragraph of something that he wrote about the church. And I think it's relevant for us today. He said this, he says, I've always been intrigued by the dynamic interplay that exists within the body of Christ when it is functioning as God desires. 
the very imagery of the church as a body, that is a human body, in which the various members contribute to the well-being of the whole is quite remarkable. Just, just one of the allegories that the scripture talks about, and there are many to describe what the church is, but, but just one. Sadly, he said, though we don't experience this as often as we should, Western individualism is frequently at odds with our interdependence and mutuality that ought to exist among the many members of the local church. Worse still, he says, we are today witnessing a disturbing trend among professing Christians who insist that they can follow Jesus and affirm the authority of Scripture without any formal or active or conscientious engagement with a local church. Some would call it a revolution. I think the word rebellion is more appropriate. And I absolutely agree with that statement. I know the value of the church. I've been doing this for a lot of years, and I know just how much Jesus loves the church. See, I, I know how much I love my wife. And the Bible says for husbands to love their wives in the same way that Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And I, and I, and I can only take that by an exponential infinity and multiply that, that that's the way in which he loves the church. So I ought to love the church in the same way that he loves the church. Paul Harvey was uh, well-known. Some of you old folks know he was well-known for his saying of, Here's now the rest of the story. And, and I want to give you, uh, I want to borrow that phrase and say, here's now the rest of the story. I want to look at the, the context of that, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I want to look at that in its context. So, so Colossians 3.16 says again, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether it is in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now what I want you to do is I want you to look at the context in which that's written. That's not written in uh, a vacuum. Uh, that's written to the local church at Colossae, to each and every member of the body of Christ or the member of the church at Colossae. And, and to extend that further and beyond that through the generations, it, it, it extends to us as we read that this morning. Each and every single member of the body of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you. The way that God has created us is that we have we are to become interdependent upon God, first and foremost, and upon one another. God has created us to be, to be needy, to express our need of, of him, but to also express our need of interdependence. And therefore, we're, we're members of the body, the, the whole body of Christ. You know, I've got a couple of weeks ago, I got a splinter uh, in my foot. I was walking in my new kitchen, right, and uh, uh, my sock grabbed the hole of uh, the, the, the new floor that we had put down and, and pulled a splinter right out of the, and it went right into my foot. It was a good thing that I had my sock on because it probably prevented the whole thing from going in, but 
but I discovered like, you know, a few days later, I didn't get it all out. And man, my whole body was hurting. Even though it was only one small member of my body that was, that was affected. My whole, you feel it in your whole body. If you've ever had a toothache, you know that you don't just have a toothache in that one tooth. I mean, you, it radiates throughout your face and throughout your whole body. And so you're affected. This is what Paul was talking about when he wrote to the Roman church. And he said, he said, when one of you rejoices, you all rejoice. When one of you weeps, you all, you all weep. To the Corinthians, he said, when one of you is honored, all the members are honored. When one of you sorrows, all of the members sorrows because of this interconnection that exists. See, there's no place in Paul's theology for an individual or a solitary follower of Jesus who is untouched by the, by the, by the sorrow or by the joy of other members of the body of Christ. doesn't exist. We are to be knit together with cords of love and compassion and caring for one another, serving one another, just as Christ gave himself for the church. In the email that I sent out this week, I, I, I you know, put out a little email as an invitation uh, to uh, today's message. And this is what the statement said. They said, life and death issues hang in the balance of our getting together. Life and death issues hang in the balance of our getting together. And the, our getting together is the church, being the church, being the body of Christ. See, I want to add this church, the body of Christ, to this list of things that we can't live without because, because the intention of Scripture is that we would become a cohesive, unified, many-membered body, each of us serving in the place that God has called us to serve. Now, one of the problems with the Corinthian church, I'm going to look at a verse of Scripture in a minute from Corinthians. One of the problems in the Corinthian church was that they were, they were divided, they were, they were divided along the lines of leadership personalities. They were, there, there were schisms in the church and divisions in the church. And Paul said, this, this, it should not be. Christ is not divided. And, and, and so if Paul were, were, if he was here this morning or if Paul was the one who was sending out, you know, an email like I did, uh, knowing that it was Super Bowl Sunday, would, would you allow me to tweak the word of God a little bit? This morning, while absolutely being true to the spirit of what the word is saying, I, I think Paul would, would say it would be okay to, 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 to use this allegory. So let me, let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with a little bit of help from uh, a football analogy. So, for the team is one and has many players. And all the players of the team, though many, are one team. Indeed, the team does not consist of one player, but of many. I mean, understand what we're saying here. This is what Paul said about the body of Christ. If the defensive end would say, because I am not the quarterback, I do not belong to the team, that would not make him any less a part of the team. And if the right tackle would say, because I am not the wide receiver, I do not belong to the team, that would not make him any less a part of the team. If the whole team were tackles, then where would the running backs be? If the whole team were running backs then where would the kickers be? And if the whole team were kickers, then where would the fullbacks be? And because, or I should say, but as it is, the coach, God, has arranged the players of the team, each one of them, as he chooses. If all were quarterbacks, then where would the team be? 
They certainly wouldn't be in the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? No athletic team ever makes it to the World Series or to the Super Bowl simply because there's one or two or three or four, you know, superstars on the team. It's because there's the, the, the cohesive working together, the preferring the one another, the supporting the one another, the encouraging of one another. Uh, every year, about 100,000 medical mishaps take place in surgical rooms. Every year, 100,000 mishaps take place in surgical rooms. Uh, some of you probably know some of the horror stories. You've heard about doctors operating on the wrong body part, on the wrong kidney, on the wrong leg, you know, uh, leaving, leaving surgical instruments on the inside of human beings. I mean, stuff like that, right, happens all the time. And some of those mishaps end in death, okay? Uh, I read a, a study from the American Medical Association. It's a new study that they found this, that that surgical, the training of surgical personnel in teamwork skills has reduced surgical mortality rate by 18%. Listen, that's almost one in five, an improvement of, of survival rate. That is amazing. If surgical teams are trained together, if they are instructed together and they work together, the mortality rate will, will decrease by almost 20%. The results clearly demonstrate that life and death importance in working together is accomplished when there's a mutual objective. While the study found that technical skill, while, while critical, is not the only thing that will determine a positive outcome. And then the report went on to say this, that for decades, surgeons and anesthesiologists have focused on their own individual skills, but the harm that occurs from surgical mishaps is happening due to teamwork failure, not because of technical skills. I'll tell you what, this is, this is exactly why Jesus said it was so important that you might be one, that the world would know that, that, that I sent you, that you have love one for another. And you know when Jesus said, said that, it was right after he had washed the feet of his disciples and said, if I've done this, then so you should do this to one another as well. Some months ago, I taught on a series called Synergy. Some of you might remember that. Synergy is this dynamic that takes place where, where, where the, the working together of two or more can, can produce and the result can be accomplishing so much more than one. One of the examples that I gave was if a horse can pull 700 pounds of weight and another horse can pull 500 pounds of weight, then the logical deduction would be that together they can pull 1,200 pounds of weight. But something dynamic happens when there's a working together and the reality is, is that they can now pull 1,900 pounds of weight and, and 700 pounds more in their ability to, to work because they work together as a team. Listen, even in the Old Testament, through the, through the uh, Israelites, we're given a promise that, that five of you will chase, chase 100 and 100 of you will chase 10,000. That's an exponential increase of, of accomplishing something when, when, the, when the people of God will work together and will sacrifice and will labor together in love. Listen, my, my grandkids, uh, I don't know if they still do, but they, they used to watch this program. You know, being a grandfather, you know, uh, 
you're going to have to sit through and watch some, some, some children's programs, whether you like it or not. And most times, you know, but anyway, I remember this one program, right? I mean, like the, the whole program was about teaching children how to cooperate with each other. And the bottom line of every, every episode they had, every, every message they had, they, they, they would end the episode with a, with a question and an answer, you know? If, if you know the answer, just go ahead and shout it out. What's going to work? Come on, we could do a little better than that. What's going to work? Boy, you folks need some work on your teamwork. No, that's cool. Yeah, hey, listen, to inst- listen we, need to, we need to learn the wisdom of synergy. We need to learn the wisdom of teamwork, of working together passionately. Something dynamic happens. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 4.16. For him, Jesus... The whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each one does its part. There's a dynamic that takes place when each one does the part that God has called them to do. I I can't believe this, but 27 years ago, this event took place, 27 years ago, now, now, some of you in this room were not here 27 years ago, so maybe you read about this in, in, in your history class. But one afternoon, it was a beautiful, in fact, it was, it was January 28, 1986, and it was a beautiful day down in Florida, and there was the launching of another one of the space shuttles. And, and in the 73-second flight, Challenger blew up before millions of Americans who are watching. Seven families were the loss of their husbands, wives, brothers, daughters, sons, children. Uh, a tragic event took place on that, on that day. The, the nation was in, in, involved in grief. President Reagan was, was president at the time. When, they, when it first happened, I mean, we wondered, is it possible that they survived that explosion? And, and of course, you know, all hope was dissipated, realizing no one could have, could have survived that kind of explosion. And you, know, the, you know the amazing thing about that is? That, that out of the one million components that comprise the, the Challenger, one inexpensive O-ring was discovered to be the fault of the reason why the Challenger blew up, why seven families lost their loved ones and why the nation was plunged into grief because of one inexpensive O-ring, one little part out of a million components. So my point to you this morning is to understand that there is no insignificant part Every member is, is of great value to the kingdom of God. See, some people feel that their role in the church may be small or insignificant and even inconsequential, but the reality is, is, that, is that something as insignificant as that O-ring proved to be such, such a, an unforgettable, uh, made an unforgettable difference. Th- this is what I believe Paul meant when he said this in 1 Corinthians 12, 22. In fact, he said, some parts of the body that seem weakest 
and least important are actually the most necessary. See, what's important is what God says about you. What's important is, is what, how God value, values you as a member of the church. You may not be a superstar. You, you may be the least, but, but you ever hear of how Jesus loved the least of these, his brethren? Every member of the team has value. When the, when, when, when the team is working together, serving one another with their energy, with their time, with their resources, coming together, fulfilling the, the vision of the local church, there's nothing more beautiful than that. There's nothing more precious in God's sight. It's what he loves. It's what he gave himself for in the most horrific form of, of torture and death that the world has ever known. Jesus gave himself for that purpose so that he might have a people who are his own treasured possession, a people that would be zealous to do what is good. And to do what is good means that we've been called together to work together, to be knit together, to be the expression of the body of Christ in a cohesive way. You know, so many times we make comparisons between the first century the, the believers in the book of Acts and, and, and ourselves. And, you know, it's not hard to find the secret of their success. As you read through the book of Acts, one of the most reoccurring themes is their, their unity and their devotedness and their coming together. Let, I could just, just share with you one, one portion of Scripture from Acts chapter 2. This is all the believers were, were, were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and their goods they gave Anyone as he had a need, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The reason why they had such an impact upon, upon their community, upon, upon the, the Jerusalem and Judea and, and even unto the uttermost parts of the world in that first century was because of their devotedness to one another, their, their willingness to share not only their possessions, but to even lay down their very own lives because of, because of the, the love for the one who laid down his life for us. See, what I want you to know this morning is that serving and giving became the language of the church. It became the language of grace. What do you suppose? Let me just ask, what do you suppose is the oldest living thing on, on earth? Anybody know? It's a, tree. it's a tree, but it's a specific tree. And did you know that the redwood trees in California, some have been estimated to live, listen, it'll blow you away, 3,300 years. A living thing, living, 3, 000, living way before the coming of Jesus, 3,300 years. These amazing trees, the redwoods, you know? One of the most surprising things about the redwoods, however, is, is their, uh, their root system. Their root system is kind of shallow. Now, you would, you would think that you would need to really go way down deep if you're going to, you know, hold up and support a, a structure that's sometimes as much as 250 and 300 feet tall. They, they weigh as much as, listen, 12 million pounds, 30 stories tall, Right? These things that have been around for a long time. But, but yet they have a root system that's kind of shallow, five to six feet. But they have these tiny little fibers that go out and make a network. And the, and the, reason, why, the reason why they're able to, 
to, to live millennial, the reason why they're able to survive as big as they are is because they grow next to each other. And their, and their root system is interdependent upon one another. And, and I just think that God did that just for my illustration this morning. All those trees have been around all this time just for my illustration. Now, I'm telling you, that's the way God made us, to be interdependent upon one another. There's not one person who is apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. No, there's a fivefold. And, and there are other gifts in the body of Christ. And there are many who have helps in administration and the gifts of giving and the gifts of exhortation. And, and we need all of the members of the body to work together and it becomes a beautiful thing. And it's something that, that the Lord has designed that we would be in humility, preferring one another, serving one another, loving one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, the body is one unit though it's made up of many parts. And though all the parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. He's the head. I mean, imagine if your arm just started doing something by itself, independent of your brain, independent of the rest of your body. Sometimes people do that. And we call that a disease. But for my arm to be in function in relationship to the rest of my body, it receives its instructions from the head who is Christ Jesus. In his uh, book, The Purpose Driven uh, Life, Rick Warren addresses one of the complaints that, that's so common among people as to the reason why they don't get connected to a local church. So let me just share that with you. He says, he writes in, in his 21st chapter, he writes, the youth group isn't friendly enough. The pastor doesn't know my name. No one invites me out to lunch. I didn't get an invitation to so-and-so's wedding. The elder betrayed my confidence, yada, yada, yada. I like that, yada, yada, yada. I hear a lot of yada, yada, yada. You, you've heard it all before. People have a million reasons to complain about their church fellowship experience. But once you discover what God intends real fellowship to be, it's easy to become discouraged by the gap between the ideal and the real in your church. I mean, that's honest. Yet we must passionately love the church in spite of its imperfections. I love this. Longing for the ideal while criticizing the real is evidence of immaturity. On the other hand, settling for the real without striving for the ideal is complacency. And that's what we're all about. That's what we're all about here is to strive for for the ideal of, of what God intended, that this would be a safe place, that this would be a place where, where we can grow together and express the gifts that God has given to us for the purpose of exalting Jesus Christ with Christ-centered sermons and Christ-centered people and worship and, and having a people that love each other. This is what we're all about. And then, and then he says this in conclusion. He says, maturity is living with the tension. It's living with the tension of, of a church that has flaws and imperfections, but striving for the ideal. And then he closes with this, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. I think this is God's idea about 
us not being able to live and, ha- and, and be well and, and, and to have a, a productive, fruitful life apart from our interdependency upon one another. And I know in, in this place we're blessed. We, we have many, many of you who are devoted in over years and years of loyalty and, and faithfulness and, and dedication to, to, to your time, your energy, your resources. And I, and I just commend you for that. And uh, it's exactly what God wants from us. See, he loved the church and gave himself for us so that we might be holy and that we might be without spot or wrinkle or blemish, that we might be the bride of Christ, which is another allegory. And see, what I want you to know this morning, what I want you to take away from this message this morning is simply to know this, that service and sacrifice is the language of the church. It's the language of Christ. It's the language of a healthy church, service and sacrifice. It's the language of the church. Sudha was a a Hindu who had given his heart to Christ and was all in, became, became a solid believer in Jesus Christ, though he was once a Hindu. And he felt that he was called to become a missionary to India. Late one afternoon, as he was traveling through the Himalayas with a Buddhist monk as his guide, it was a bitterly cold, windy day, and the wind was just kind of cutting through him like a, a sharp razor. The monk had warned him that we've, we've got to make it to the monastery before it gets dark or else we might freeze to death. Just as they were traversing through a, a narrow path and a steep cliff, they heard some cries from help. There was a man who had fallen down and who was in need of help. But the Buddhist monk said, do not stop. God has, has brought this man to his faith. It's up to him to work it out for himself. Then he quickly added while walking on, let us hurry on that we too may not perish. But the Christian said, I, I, can't, I can't leave him here. Maybe God has sent me here to help him. And so he climbed down that, that steep embankment and he, and he realized that the man had a broken leg and he took a blanket and he made a sling out of, out of the blanket and put the man on his back and carried him up this steep back to the path. And, and in, in the process, he became so... So, so, so soaked with perspiration and, and so, so heat, you know, feeling the heat of, of it all, you know, uh, but he finally made it to the path and, and, and following that path in the snow, right, as he was, as he was making his way uh, to the monastery, uh, the first time that he stumbled, not because he was weak and not because he was faint, but he stumbled over something that was in the road. And when he took a look to see what was it that he stumbled over, didn't fall, it was, it was the, the monk who had frozen to death. He saw the lights of the monastery and he safely made it to the monastery. Years later, he was asked this question. He was asked, he was asked this simple question as to, as to what is, is, is the most important thing in this life. He said, it's to have a burden and to carry a burden. I want to share with you this morning, I believe, I can't prove it, but I believe somehow that heat exhaustion that he felt, that, that expending of his energy, that willingness to sacrifice even his own life for the sake of another human being was maybe the very thing that saved his life and prevented him from, from freezing to death. What I want you to realize 
is this, this morning, that God has a plan and a purpose for you. And that purpose is that you likewise might have a burden. That just as Jesus carried a burden from eternity for the church that he loved and gave himself for. So he wants you to experience a burden for, for one another. To carry one another and to care for one another just as Jesus carried us in our brokenness to the cross. And when we do that, we fulfill the destiny, the bigger picture of what God has in store for those who love him. You see, service and sacrifice is the language of grace. It is the language of the church. Peter said this, each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So I just want to just, just wrap up this message this morning, whether we're talking about hope, the hope that is in God, the grace that comes from Christ, grace heaped upon grace, the faith that is of Christ and the faith that is in Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, all of those things that we've been talking about, and even the church itself is a gift. When the Bible says that Jesus ascended on high, he gave gifts unto men. He gave some to be apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry, the gift that God has given to us, all of these things, and there are so many more that we can talk about. There's some of the reasons why we, 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 we bow our knee. Like Paul said, for this cause I bow my knee before the Father of heaven in whom the whole family is knitly joined together. What a, what a miracle the church is, the diversity of, of people with various gifts. You know, one day we'll really appreciate that when we are standing around the throne of God and when we see from every tribe and nation and kindred and tongue and people that God has redeemed the people for himself, a tapestry that will, because of the uniqueness and, and the diversity, will, will have a harmony and will, and will have a beauty that is unmatched by any other. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the grace of God. I thank you this morning, Lord God, for these things that you've given to us to, to cause us to just be people of such gratitude and express that gratitude to you this morning because of all you've done for us and all you're doing to us. And I just ask you, Lord God, to release the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace in this house. Created us, Lord God, that cohesive unity that comes from the Holy Spirit so that we can be effective in all that we do for the kingdom of God and for the, the, the mission of this local house. I thank you, Father, for every person. I thank you for even the least of these because, because as we read today, that even the least may be the very most important ones among us. I thank you, Lord God, for the grace of God this morning and for this house that's a house that's built on love, that's a house that's built on the security of the word of God and Jesus, the Savior, who has loved us and given himself for us. I just want to say this. If, if you're here this morning and you're not a committed follower of Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus loves you as well and wants you to become a part of what he has given himself for, that he has given himself for the church. 
that you can become a part of the church, the, the mystical body of Christ. I'm not talking about joining, becoming a member. I'm talking about becoming a member of the church, the church that Jesus loved and gave his blood for. That you can do that this morning before you leave here. Love to pray with you. But, but right now, where, where you're seated, you, you can do that by the outstretch of faith, by just saying this to Jesus in, in your own words, Jesus, come into my life. I, I want what these people have. I, I want the peace and the joy that these people have. But most of all, I want you. I want to discover that you are indeed the exceeding great reward, that you are a treasure. And if you would just do that right now this morning, I, I just guarantee you that the Holy Spirit will come and open your heart and place you as a member of the body, give you spiritual gifts, give you motivational gifts so that you can function in the body of Christ as God intends and as he pleases. Let's all stand together one more time.